The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, doing great today. I feel like in, in this crazy world we now live in, you never kind of know what the, what the response is going to be, but you usually are loving life in, in Knoxville. Well, uh, I, I, gotta, don't know, I don't know yeah, if you're still loving life in Knoxville. I, I, I am loving life in Knoxville, man. i got to tell you, it's been one of those days that uh, uh, you, you ever have those days where it's nonstop, and uh, uh, I've had one of those weeks that's been nonstop. I like it. It's good, but... I've also come to the realization that sometimes you have to change up. I mean, uh, you want to try guacamole one day and uh, cheddar cheese the next, or or you want to have a little salsa mixed in. I mean, so I'm trying my best not to be as mundane and simple as uh, as we all get to be sometimes. But Knoxville is still great. It's it's been uh, rainy the last couple days here, and. Uh, uh, JPWA guys had a great day on great night on Friday night. Everybody had matches and, uh, <clears throat> it was a good, a good flow and people getting into it. So that's always, uh, inspiring and encouraging. So, uh, it, but it, but it hasn't stopped, uh, through the weekend and it's just going to start back up tomorrow morning, which is always good when we can wake up in the morning and start it all over again. So no, things are great here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and, uh, the Smoky Mountains are beautiful as ever. And, uh, as I said, looking forward to a new week beginning. Interesting thing to me is like, okay, you got the students, you have the matches. How long or far along do you have to be as a student to eventually get these school matches? Do you have to be six months in, is, or they're, they're not a time frame as far as, like, when you're going to be getting your first matches at the school? Uh, yeah, this in particular group, uh, or this particular group in particular, if you will, has only been training for six weeks, and some have, uh, some came to me with a little bit of experience prior to, but they it, it's only been six weeks and i i just put them in practice matches and the everyone everyone no exception uh always rush and need to be told to slow down and sometimes i have to scream it sometimes all i have to do is uh say it but uh, you know it's all up to them how they interpret it and the the key here is listening and knowing what you have to do to improve. And everyone needs to slow down to improve, and that takes time. The only way you get it is by experience. And uh, you can talk about experience. You just can't teach it. you got to get out there and do it. The easiest way to do it is, is do it. Now, as far as the topic at hand today, it was going to go back to your training days. Last week we talked about the Abracus. Akam Albright, we've talked about Kurt Angle before, we've talked about Mark Henry, of course we talked about The Rock, possibly your most famous trainee, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, we've talked about Shane McMahon, but today I want to talk about 
Darren Drozdov, a.k.a. Draws, which I, I feel like so many people may, may remember you training him, may forget. I don't know. You never know with people what they know, but it feels like you had your hand in a ton of these great WWE superstars and these ton of potential WWE superstars. And I think Draws, obviously, we'll get into it later with what happened to him with D'Lo Brown, that match, potential superstar for sure with him. So when did you end up first meeting Draws? Uh, you know, it was, gosh, 90, 97 or 98 when Draws came to us, and uh, he came from the NFL, obviously had the size and, and the attitude, great guy, from the very beginning I liked him, uh, we got along great, we, we, especially when he moved to Stanford uh, and, and started hanging out with us at the studio and, and the office, he um, he was meant for this business. He was made for this business. He uh, uh, didn't miss a beat. He 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 took to it, and I don't want to use a cliche, but I have to like a duck to water. He came in, and uh, I saw some stuff from his NFL days. They showed some film, and I watched it back with him too uh, of him puking, you know, on the line of scrimmage. And therefore, uh, you know, the the name, the nickname Puke came about, uh, and he he embraced it. He took to it. Uh, enjoyed training. Enjoyed going out. Um, enjoyed being part of the business because it suited him. He he was he was meant to do it. He he had all the the right attitude and qualifications that came with it. I mean, it was just a matter of. Uh, uh, getting again, getting experience under his belt, and um, being a part of it, and he was all gung ho for it, man. We had some some really good times in Stanford. We had some really good times uh, when he was on the road, and uh, man, I thought I, th- I really, especially after working with Hawk and Animal, that he was uh, uh, destined for a great future ahead. As far as the training at this point, is it still at the studios with him, or, or is it at the uh, the Funkin' Dojo? Where's the, the training as far as right now with Jaws? This was at the studio, and uh, I, I don't know. He might have gone through a Funkin' Dojo or two, but I know we trained at the studio for sure. And uh, he was... Uh, he was staying downtown, I believe. No, 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 no. He was in New Canaan. He was just just a town up from Stanford, I think it was. Or is New Canaan the town up from Stanford? Or, or what? What is the, the town? Danbury, something like that. He he, he had a place uh, which is a couple exits away. It suited him just fine, and uh, he you know, he made it to he made it to practice every day, and and. Uh, did what he had to do, but yeah, we were, we were training. I do remember training in the studio because we would leave and sometimes go do dinner and, and uh, you know check out a movie or check out whatever we were going to check out that night and uh, do it all over again. I know Dan Barry's up there. I know Norwalk is up there, very close. Yeah, it might have been Norwalk. As well. Yeah, it might have been Norwalk. There, there were a couple guys who lived in Danbury. They they rented a house or something and. Or had an apartment up there. Uh, uh, it was the it was the I hate to say it, but it was a it was a town not known for. Oh, gosh, I don't want to bury any, any Connecticut towns because they're all wonderful. But this was this was a town that wasn't known for its uh, uh, the safest place to be at. Mm. Uh, I can't remember. Man, anyway, it was uh, it was one of those Danbury or Newark. I'm not I'm I'm not sure. Newark, not Newark. What did you just say before? Norwalk. Norwalk. I think it might have been Norwalk. I'm not sure. Either way, he was there with us, and he did a hell of a job. You know what Jr. says about Connecticut, right? No. Oh, you don't remember that? Oh, great, what? great. A uh, great promo by him when he kind of turns heel and he talks about how Vince McMahon fired his ass February 11th, 1994. And then he goes into this great thing about how Vince made him live in Connecticut, which is an overpriced hellhole. Well, I will. 
<laughs> I will agree with him on parts of that. And, you know, although uh, overpriced, yes, and hellhole at times, of course, but I had a great time in, in my – well, during my stay in Connecticut. I really did. I love when, you know, Vince lets these guys – and obviously Jr. had the freedom and wherewithal. I mean, he's obviously shooting just a little bit on that <laughs> promo. It's pretty funny. Well, yeah, but but most of the guys, uh, you know, who have lived in the South, myself included, you you get up there, and if you've never been in the Northeast before, uh, it is a little bit of a culture shock. You know, uh, if you're familiar with Hank Williams Jr., he has a Mm -hmm. song, you know, we say grace and we say, ma'am, if you ain't into that, we don't give a damn, all that stuff, you know. So that's where JR is coming from. But, you know, Draws fit in. Draws was from the Northeast. Draws, uh, uh, you know, understood uh, that you know, after playing pro ball, now he's working for the biggest wrestling company in the world. And he was, um, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> he was prepared uh, to work hard, and he did work hard, and uh, he had a lot of fun too. Little uh, Hank Williams, there, uh, "Country Boy Can't Survive." I love that song. Of course, you can't Good ride stuff. with Tommy, and you're not allowed to ride in the car with Tommy Rich unless you knew that by heart. Nice, nice. I, I, I like that. Now, yeah. as far as draws, you kind of mentioned you knew him from the NFL because of the puking and stuff. Did you know as far as like his athletic ability from the NFL, or you guys didn't really watch? tape so to speak on NFL players no I didn't I didn't watch tape on draws in that that regard but uh in the weight room when we train at the gym and uh at Titan Towers uh no it was evident that the guy was a was an athlete he was strong as an ox uh he was fearless did not nothing could deter him you know he he had been he had a broken back in the NFL before and he came back and played. He he was he's one of those. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to say call him a kid, but back then I guess he was. He was a, he was a tough kid and uh, a likable guy. Just just a, a personable, uh, knew how to get along with everybody type of guy, and knew how to laugh and knew how to have fun. And um, I th- I think again that's a that's a huge huge part of training. You have to enjoy what you're doing to be great at it, I think. And although it's hard work, you have to enjoy the hard work. And uh, a lot of people, to quote Nick Saban, a lot of people say practice so you uh, uh, get it right. And he says, no, practice until you can't get it wrong. And that's the way Draws did it, man. He he practiced, practiced. And, uh, you know, there was even a time when Mark Henry was in town and I'm sure Mark was still training or in the beginning stages and uh Bruce myself Mark and Draws went right across the street you know right next door to the to Titan Towers and had Indian food uh are you familiar with Indian food oh yeah yeah oh I love it tandoori chicken and some of the spices and things like that. I don't like a whole lot of spicy stuff, but, but, uh, you know, eating Indian food before you train, uh, for wrestling is not very, I I wouldn't condone it. And, um, it doesn't work if you're, (laughs) if you're looking to, uh, uh, be be very uh, do it with finesse that day and, and draws got in the ring with Mark after we ate Indian food and uh, proceeded to puke on Mark and you know that wasn't it wasn't something Mark appreciated very much but but he lived up to his name you know he wasn't going to say oh I can't go now I uh, I don't feel like it my stomach's upset but but draws was draws and he was going to go no matter what and it didn't matter. Uh, you know, who he upset and what he did. He was going to work hard. There's a great Tim Allen joke. He said, instead of eating the Indian food, why don't you just give me direct diarrhea into my mouth and, and get it over with? <laughs> well, you know what? It, 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 it could be uh, construed either way. And, you know, some people like, uh, 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 yeah, some people like anchovies on their pizzas and some people don't. Now, Mondo Guerrero got me to try anchovies on, on pizza and, and, Surprisingly to me, they didn't taste like fish. They tasted a little bit like meat. So it's all in the perception. 
Now, I don't know if you saw it or remember this or maybe it was told to you. I think it was a game on Monday Night Football, and Draz basically puked directly onto the ball, like yes. before, the, before the center, like, could touch it or snap it. Was that something that, that like, I don't know, you could see Vince kind of love, like loves that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I really could. And, and that was with the Broncos, I believe, uh, when he played with Denver. And he, and he did. He puked right on the ball. <laughs> and you could see the center go, oh, my God. It's like, yeah, of course he loved it. He Vince, Vince that was his selling appeal. And uh, uh, Vince thought it was great. I, I remember when they taped or they filmed uh, Beyond the Mat and, and Draws is in Vince's office and they're recreating the scene where, you know, they're going to call him puke. And Vince wants him to puke in the trash can. He says, he's going to puke. He, he's going to puke. And Draws is trying his best to, you know, to come up with some good stuff and, uh, yeah, that that certainly was was something Vince was uh, definitely into at that time. Beyond the Mat is so legendary, just as far as shocking that Vince would let them film some of that stuff. You know, to, to some extent. Obviously, this is at the point where WWE was winning the war, so it's almost like he was trying to, I guess, get out there and, and get WWF out there even more and try to gain some of the audience back. But it's just so funny to see him in his office talking to Josh while they're filming. He's like, yeah, he's got a few. And his facial expressions, like Vince is, is loving it. He's a crazy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a crazy time to say the least. Man, I just like think like, isn't that kind of gross to, to a certain extent? But I guess not to Vince. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I think that a lot of things – um, that are gross to to people or, or people who haven't been around wrestling or seen wrestling too much uh, is, is mundane and, and pretty average. You know, once again, I I don't want to mention any free bird name, Michael Hayes, uh, but he would, <laughs> Michael would, uh, and I've witnessed this on 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 not one but more than one, more than more than two occasions. My, Michael would do the thing. Uh, for shock value, he would spit on the wall and lick it off. Or I, I actually was riding with Michael, uh, and again on more than one occasion. So this is how I, I'm not. This is why I'm not so sure it wasn't uh, something Michael just did for shock value. You know, go to spit out the window, and the window was rolled up, and you go, "Ah, oh, the hell with it," and lick it off again. You know, so some of those things I thought were pretty daggum gross and stupid, and I couldn't do it. But I, I came uh, to realize early on. That uh, you know, I I didn't sign up to 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 cure cancer or find a, a solution to world peace. I knew I was in with uh, uh, lunatics, mad dogs, and and Englishmen or whatever you want to call it. You know, it was uh, it, it it was and it's, it used to be a lot more uh, outrageous and off the rails. And uh, back then, Draws was was getting in on that. Uh, on that floor, I don't think he was certainly he wasn't on the ground floor because there was a lot of guys before him who had done some some insane stuff. We, we can we can go back and look at Dr. Jerry Graham, but uh, you know Draws was right in that category. He he knew to be outrageous was was going to get him noticed, and um, yeah, it was it it what, what was gross to some people it was uh, music uh, to others, you know so. He he was in the right place and at the right time, I would say. Did they ever explain, or did he ever explain maybe to you why he had, like, chronic vomiting, why he threw up so much? Was it, like, voluntary? Was he doing it on purpose? Was that ever explained? Uh, well, I don't know if they explained it on TV. He told me it had to do with nerves, and he just, just got excited on uh, uh, playing football. It was something that happened to him all through his career and all through, you know, his, his junior high and high school career. And when he got in pros, it, it just followed him. It was something that uh, he he chalked it up to nerves. And uh, I don't know if it was any uh, medical explanation except that. You know, it could be. But, uh, no, we talked about it one time. I said, man, I don't know. I guess I'm just nervous. So that, that was the deal. Because supposedly Bill Russell who was one of the most clutch basketball players and the most winning basketball player, really, all those championships, he said, you know, he used to throw up before every game nerves and stuff. So I wonder, 
I don't know, I guess Draws could control it somewhat, I, I guess. Well, I got to tell you, uh, my my first two years in, in wrestling, I threw up on a pretty regular basis, either during or after the match, and I tried to uh, do it outside the ring. And um, one one night in Los Angeles at the Olympic Auditorium, I had uh, Johnny Mantell, who was wrestling under the the mask as the Hood. Uh, I had him in a sleeper hold at the end of like a 15 minute match. And we were supposed to go to a draw and man, I'm blown up. I'm sky. I'm just nervous as hell. And I, I tried to tried not to puke on him, but I think we had 20 seconds to go. Jimmy Lennon's calling out the time. And all of a sudden it, it's coming. And it, the first chunk came up and I tried to swallow it, which he, ah, if you know anything about swallowing vomit, it just increases the load next time. And boy, it came all on his back. And he had a mask that had two uh, uh, straps or two two uh, pieces of cloth coming down, and, and it, it was a mess. He came back to the locker room hot. And he threw his mask at me and said, "You wash that." I said, "I will, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. But I couldn't help myself." So I mean, I understand the nerves. I couldn't puke on command. I think the deal with Draws was uh, he said he could puke on command, and that was the that was that was the deal. So whether he could or couldn't, um, uh, I, I understand the I understand the nerve part of it. I understand it, you know. And and other people have thrown up too. Draws just happened to be famous for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's very true. Now, with him and his football career, did he ever – I know he, he was injured once and came back. Did he ever say that he wanted to get back into football, or once he got into wrestling, 100% wrestling all the way? Nah, yeah, he was 100% wrestling all the way. I think he had had uh, uh, his taste of football. He loved football, no doubt. But once he got into wrestling and saw that he was uh, surrounded by – <laughs> you know, football has its lunatics too, but but wrestling has a, a different breed of lunatics. And and once he he uh, you know sampled that company, he figured out that he was uh, he was home and and he belonged there because he was he was a, a natural character, one of those guys that we all know through childhood or or adulthood or just life in general who they can't help themselves. They are who they are and they make no uh, apologies for it. They just uh, march to their own beat and, and uh, you know, they don't conform to the world. The world conforms to them. And I think once that happened and he left football, I'm, I'm sure he still loved football. We never really talked a whole lot about uh uh, whether he would go back or wanted to go back, uh, it was just evident to me when when he, uh, you know, committed to wrestling, committed to this. He was he was committed, and uh, I thought that was a great thing because he he had the potential, he had the size, and he certainly had the attitude for it. Now, to me, sometimes there's football players that you look at, you're like, wow, he'd be an awesome pro wrestler. And they go into pro wrestling and don't quite pan out. You look at Steve Mongo McMichael. Okay, look at that personality. He's a huge guy. Super Bowl winner with the Bears. Actually a really, like, good talker, not as far as announcing, just as far as, like, him being able to speak and almost cut regular promos. Not really so much as wrestling promos, but just his natural ability to talk. Very charismatic guy. But then when he goes into the wrestling, he's very kind of unathletic, almost like Somehow this guy was super Super Bowl champion and great defensive lineman has two left feet. Then you think of it like the opposite. Wahoo was awesome. Um, you even think about Kevin Green was was actually really good for having hardly any training, hardly any matches. He would have been a great wrestler. Then Gronkowski was like, eh, not that great, but you would think he would have been great. Pat McAfee somehow you think he'd be terrible, but he's a really good talker and he's a good athlete for a punter. So with Draws, what was like your thought with him? Like, you could go either way with football players, really. Well, yeah, it, it was. I've seen the same thing all throughout uh, my 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 life as a fan and a career as a wrestler. Some some guys come into professional wrestling from football, looking at it from a whole different perspective, and, and their uh, view of it doesn't really match um, the reality 
I guess. They they look at it as oh, it's all hokey. This, this is this is my uh opinion of what's going on today with a lot of guys, not just football players, but this is uh, what's happening today is what was happening with, with people who come from different sports and different uh, uh, places in life um, and, and find themselves getting into professional wrestling. They didn't approach it as to think of it as a shoot, but work. They always approached it as, oh, this is all phony. This is all ha-ha play games, and I don't have to do anything because I'm a big, bad athlete. And all these guys are a bunch of actors, and uh, I'm I'm better than these guys, and I don't have to do anything to get better because I'm already better than them. And I don't really think they applied themselves. Draws actually applied himself. You know, McMichael was uh, certainly, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he hung out with a horseman, and he was fun to have around, and he was the athlete, and he was a football player, stud athlete, all that stuff, great, great, great. But then he never really made it a point to apply himself with his body language, uh, with his other promos that needed to be delivered in a in a different manner and a different uh, tone. He just thought because he was Mondo McMichael, he didn't have to do anything else. That that's all he did. He just rested on his laurels in my opinion, and that's what it looked like to me. Draws and people like uh, Kevin Green and, and McAfee and those guys, I think really had some pride in what they were going to do, and they, they were wrestling fans. Michael might have been a, a, a wrestling fan, but not for the same reason as the guys like uh, Wahoo and uh, whoever else you know from the past got into it. They got into it, and they, they became students of the game. Wahoo was a huge, huge moneymaker and drew money his whole career. And But he learned. The, the point is, we had the territories back then. He could go to a, uh, a place and be hidden and be taught and then go out to the big big uh, areas and, and make money and, and become a star. In the days of McMichael, uh, you know, he, he was around the WCW crew, and he might have gone to the power plant, and, and I'm not knocking the power plant or anybody there, but but they did things to blow people up and and to to show them how tough it was. And and I don't know if they went any farther than that because uh, I have a lot of respect for Bill Goldberg, no doubt. But Bill Goldberg past two minutes <laughs> doesn't need to happen. Uh, because he was good in burst, and that's all, that's what was needed, and that's he was he was the guy to do it, and he was the only guy that should have done it back then. But a lot of football players uh, through in the past came in not really expecting to to have to learn anything. They were just going to be uh, this huge star doing professional wrestling a favor by gracing the business with their presence and. Uh, you know, when you come up with that attitude, there's going to be guys who are going to show you otherwise. And uh, thank goodness that Draws never came in with that attitude. Draws wanted to learn the business. He wanted to know these guys. And the good thing about him is he was personable enough when he would meet people at the shows and meet people who would come by and stop uh, and watch his train. He, he knew how to be respectful. He knew how to be engaging. And um, that helped him. With draws it sounds like he was very coachable and very trainable right correct very much so he seems like a guy that from what you're saying like he gets it he understands it but he knows that there's going to be have to you know there's going to be have to be hard work that kind of shows me that if you just look at his career undrafted he was a great player at maryland defensive line but it's undrafted so he knows you got to work your ass off to get in the NFL. I wasn't drafted. I wasn't supposed to be here. So I'm sure he had that same kind of approach to wrestling. Like, man, I got to work my ass off to be here. Yeah. And, and I can usually tell after talking to somebody, uh, I don't want to say five minutes, but usually after a little while when I ask questions, uh, I, I like any other person, coach, mentor, uh, trainer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you want to know what they're really willing to do and do the actions match up to the words they're telling you. And 
and Draz did. Um, you know, he never talked about the glory days uh, of football unless somebody asked him. He never was the guy to bring it up about uh, the game. He made some fantastic play or did something great. Uh, it showed me humility, and he also knew that he was in a different world, and he was trying to adapt to this world. And, and uh, my God, who, who better uh, to to adapt to and adapt with than guys like Animal and Hawk? Because uh, both both of the Road Warriors were incredible performers and incredible people backstage. Um, everybody has their quirks and everybody has their demons. Everybody has their personality traits. But for a guy like Draws to be around uh, Hawk and Animal was perfect for him because both of those guys, uh, Joe and Mike, had already been through it and they already knew that to make a, a, a new star and uh, to be actually, first of all, to have them agree to have draws come in and be with them said a lot about draws because not just anybody was going to be wearing the, the warrior colors or the warrior tights or, or pads. And, and that was, uh, that, that's a shoot. <laughs> they, they took their gimmick very seriously. And, so, you know, he was coachable. He would listen. And um, they knew it after after talking to him for just a short time. The boys knew it, and uh, he was he was welcomed uh, in the back pretty much right off the bat. So with him, as far as training him, he was probably sounds like he's one of the guys you look forward to training. Like, this is going to be fun. This guy's coachable. He wants it. Um, they, you know, they obviously have some plans for him. So he was probably the guy, if you could probably maybe put him on the fun list to train, like, you know, I really enjoy training this guy. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, even though, look, he was, he was a strong guy and it took him some time to learn how to uh, relax and, and not kill me in the ring. But, but uh, he, he did relax and he was learning so yeah, they, it, it was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun because I knew he was dedicated. I knew he wanted to do this. I knew that he was putting in the work because I was with him every day, and it was uh, it was enjoyable and uh, rewarding at the same time because once again we were looking for results. We were looking for. All the guys that came through the developmental system at that time, which really was not classified uh, as, a, as a developmental system. It was a training camp, I guess you could say. And the more guys that came out that, that were a success, the better for everybody. So with him, do you see it factor with him, with the you know the Monday Night Football, the, the puking, the, just the way he carries himself? Do you see it factor at all when you first start training him? Well, yeah, he he was certainly on his way. He certainly had the potential. He definitely uh was was getting the right experience and getting um the the right form of coaching and mentoring on the road from the right guys. You know, it there there you have to be accepted and uh he was he was accepted and he was being um coached and mentored by guys that that had been there done that and um uh, by the guys that uh, were also uh watching to see if he if he was walking the right path or not and uh by all reports he was and if you want to call that the it factor um yeah certainly he he did he had he had it enough to where people were, were taking notice and uh, letting the office know, not just me, but but the guys uh, who were on the road with him and uh, who who were also around him. So yeah, he was he was certainly uh, on his way. Do you get any kind of like, hey, you know, from Jr. 
brother Brucey or Vince, like, hey, progress report, we like this guy, we're going to pair him with LOD in an unofficial capacity at first. Um, like, how's he doing? What do you think? Is he ready? Of course. Yeah, that was that was uh, sometimes a daily thing. And and he always got good reports from me. Uh there there was there there was no negativity, no um uh black marks or or you know, check this box for uh uh what he needs to work on. He he would do everything he was asked and then some. He he was always ready and willing, never Never dogged it. Never saw him dog it. Never felt like he was trying to dodge anything or get out of practice. Uh, you know, we 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 went to to a few late night dinners and and had to get up early. And and he was right there with us. You know, so uh, yeah, he he didn't um, he wasn't looking for any special favors. He earned everything he got with Jr. He's the guy, you know, really the, the head of talent relations. He's the guy signing these guys. Does he have, you know, he's a huge football guy. So does he have some extra added kind of, not influence, but is he kind of extra interested in how Dross is doing? Uh, I don't know if he was necessarily extra interested. I mean, he was interested in, in pretty much all the guys with the size and and uh, athletic background, as, as well he should be because he was, you know, J.R., I took his job very seriously and uh he was he was interested in everyone who came pardon me through the uh, through the ranks of developmental because uh once again it just looked good for everybody if they succeeded and uh I'm sure no doubt, he 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 loved the football players. He loved the uh, uh, guys who were legitimate athletes and legitimate uh, badasses and who could handle themselves. But I I don't believe uh, that there was any any kind of special interest. No special, no more special than than any anybody else of his uh, magnitude, like a Mark Henry or a Rock or or anybody like that who came down the down the pike. Now, I, you know, I say that, but you know, the rock came from a wrestling background and Mark Henry was a weightlifter and, and there were other guys who came along later on. But I think, um, to my recollection, Jr. never, uh, he, his, his enthusiasm was pretty high for everybody that came through because he was the guy who did have to pay him. He was the guy, uh, my reports went to, to, J.R., uh, Vince, Bruce. I know they went to J.J. for a little bit. So um, I guess J.J. was gone by that time, though, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, so, so, uh, but no, I, I, J.R. was, <laughs> everybody that that was signed during that, that early time, um, he was wanting to know about him, and it, it, he never, he never said anything or ever, implied like this guy means more than that guy he was he was because you never know that that's the great thing about it is you know you, you the the cool thing about developmental uh is is to get that surprise and uh you know while Dolph Ziggler is one of the great athletes that came through developmental there was a time when uh not a lot of people were that sure about him and you know he he surpassed everybody's expectations, so you just never know. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think Jr. was was uh, over interested, but he was definitely interested in Draza's uh, progress. So he really kind of starts out, like I said, in an unofficial capacity with LOD. We're calling him Puke, kind of like the third member of the team, really. Not official member, but you know, it's you could tell it's heading in that direction. He would compete, which we've talked about it in a few different shows in the past. If anybody wants to check it out, they can do it on the archives. But the Brawl for All tournament, he made it to the semifinals before losing to Bradshaw. So, I mean, he, he was on TV a little bit, kind of uh, building his credential. But all that is good learning experience, right? Anything kind of on TV and getting on the road and getting in front of Vince, all good learning experience. 
Uh, I'm sorry. Were you saying uh, anything on the road, a good learning experience? Yeah, like when you're on the road, well, you know, it's brawl for all, so technically, you know, that is, it's a little bit different. But when you're getting on the road and get in front of Vince and getting on TV, that's all good for your learning experience, right? Well, yeah, definitely it is. And um, he was, you know, he wasn't afraid uh, really of anything, he, he, even though it might have been nerves that caused him to puke, whatever it was. Um I think it was all just probably the 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 passion uh, and nervousness of performing well, but being in front of Vince, Jr., a crowd, anything like that, um, uh, an athlete like Draws in in that top tier uh, just pushes himself and does what he has to do uh, to get in that frame of mind and get in that. Uh, uh, that set that he has to do. And it is a great experience being on the road. There's nothing like it. That really is the only way to get experiences, to go up on those TVs, walk in the backstage and see the, see the, the, uh, the buses and see the, the miles of cable and everything being set up. And you're going, wow, this is a, a pretty detailed, uh, intricate production. We're not just, it's, it's not at, at a national guard armory or a local high school. You're, you're actually working for a major, uh, professional company here and, and WWE does things first class. So draws, uh, I, I look, he, he understood what he, what he was. He understood, you know, how, how he was, uh, uh, how he looked, you know, he had the tattoos he had the piercings. Um, he was all about uh, appearance, perception, and you know he 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 enjoyed being different. He enjoyed being draws. He enjoyed being puke. He enjoyed the attention, uh, just that 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 wrestling brought him. You know the fans were uh, just as enthusiastic as as the NFL, but in a different way. And as you know, you know, pro wrestling fans, and especially back in that era, were very vocal and very passionate. And he dug it. You know, he was uh he was having the time of his life, I believe. And he was he was having a lot of fun interacting with people, interacting with the office. And uh from all I know, everybody in the office and everybody in the company loved him. So in a kind of interesting turn of events with his career, he's going to be with LOD, and they're going to do a hawk alcoholism, drug addiction angle, and basically Animal is going to say, hawk is unfit to wrestle. He can't really be my partner. So Draws is going to join the LOD and you know, don the shoulder pads and kind of be this new Legion of Doom. Kind of crazy, you know, as being an old school fan of my, you know, like I am, just seeing that, you know, somebody else kind of don that. But even crazier that they're doing this enabler storyline where somebody is enabling Hawk to do these drugs and alcohols. You thought that was a little too personal? Do you think that's a little too close to home to do that? It it might have been. Um and uh just just being at the place that I was uh, during that time, it it it, and I think a lot of people might have looked at it sideways going, hmm. But but that was during the time when the edginess and the uh, oh, out-of-left-field angles and, and thinking was, was going. And, you know, not, look, not everybody uh, felt comfortable with it, no doubt. But I think that's what it was meant to do, was make people feel uncomfortable and, and make people uh, wonder. And, and whether it was, was right or wrong, um, it was a vehicle to spotlight draws. And once again, after after watching wrestling for for a while, you know that, that you're going to do one thing for a little bit and it's going to change. Nothing is ever going to stay the same. And and I, I believe that was what the uh, the people doing this knew and had in mind. It's not like, well, he's going to be remembered for this forever and ever and ever because as he goes along, 
there will be other angles and other ways to redeem himself, other ways to get out of it, and other ways to to uh, right the wrong or to make people either forget about this angle and move on or, as we're talking about right now, just detest it and and wonder why you did it in the first place. So um, some people thought it was horrible. Some people thought it was uh, kind of edgy and, and, and interesting. But it, it's one of those things where if you have – any of these afflictions slash addictions, you can cringe and go, oh, wow, that kind of hit home. And that's what I think uh, they, they probably might have been going for. I didn't talk to Russo about it at the time. I, I didn't talk to anybody about it at the time. Uh, I really didn't get in deep with Graz about it. But he knew it was it was a vehicle to get him into an angle and uh, – I, I, I'm pretty sure Hawk was cool with it because he wouldn't have done it if he wasn't. And uh, it was – it's one of those things when – especially a guy like Hawk, who is one of the nicest guys, was one of the nicest guys outside the ring. Uh, if he was your friend, he was your friend. Same, same way with Animal. If, if If you were friends, you were friends. And it was black and white. If you weren't, get away from me. I don't want to have. I don't have time for you. And uh, it was known that Hawk might have had some some issues, and this was a way to uh, make it work into a personal storyline where you're blurring the the line between reality and fiction. And and was it the right thing to do? Uh, Hindsight 2020, hell, I really don't know. But um, in my opinion, uh, it's it's wrestling has always been the uh, <laughs> melodrama way of Greek tragedy, man. It's just uh, you, you think shoot, but you work, and sometimes the the work carries over to the shoot, and, and, and it all kind of gets blurred too, too real, and... And then we find ourselves in a mess. But at that time, while it was going on, while it was happening, uh, the people who were cringing uh, were cringing, and the people who who thought it was cool, you know, couldn't be swayed. So um, I I really don't know. I just know that Tross did what he thought he had to do, and and make it work. The crazy angle continues, and Hawk gets shoved off the Titantron, and one of the most memorable angles, really, of the Attitude Era that I remember so fondly. I'm like, oh, my God. Then it kind of revealed that really kind of draws, pushes him off the Titantron. But that was a pretty damn shocking and pretty crazy turn of events. I mean, I think that that whole angle was just nuts. Well, yeah, but the whole time period was just nuts, I think. And, and um it was it was the period with a lot of the uh, what was it called shock TV or or, or crash TV thing crash TV crash yeah. TV and and you had to have something uh, to get people's attention and would they buy it hell not necessarily that that they really hated each other or any of that stuff but uh, would they buy that these guys were were capable of doing that. Maybe you know it, it was just a it was a crazy period, crazy time, and um, you know I I don't I can't defend everything that happened, but it was it was a again it was a vehicle to get him started. Really, I mean they are LOD two thousand, so I mean it's really kind of a vehicle to get draws over, and maybe. You know, really, if they were really thinking about maybe get rid of Hawk because he he is having personal problems or and you know he is ha- having issues, but really kind of ends very quickly for Draws and, and Animal as a team as far as LOD 2000 Capital Carnage. They have a little bit of a, a hiccup. Uh, the headbangers end up beating them. They end up fighting after the match. And kind of after that, it's really kind of over for LOD 2000 that team. But what they're going to do, they're going to repackage Draws. They're going to do kind of those Draws' world skits where he kind of t- talks about his crazy life and, like, what he's up He's going to almost have a, a little bit of a stable of guys 
Prince Albert, who everybody knows, comes in and joins as his body-piercing guy. He had uh, Vic Grimes come in. I think his name was Key at one point. They were kind of intimating that it was his drug dealer. So, I mean, they were doing stuff with him, and he was getting, you, you could say a push or whatever, but he was getting a significant amount of TV time. Well, yeah, and once again, I think that goes back to the fact that everybody liked Draws, and it could be that uh, once they saw this whole thing play out and it wasn't uh, uh, hitting vents or or the other vents like, like they thought it would, um, then changes were made, no doubt. And um, they, I, once again, when you have a guy with a pedigree like Draws, you don't just – try one thing and give up. I mean, we we had the Christmas Creature, we had uh, Isaac Yankum, we had the fake Diesel, we had, you know, a lot of other things before you hit, hit pay dirt. So, yeah, I, I think uh, the LOD thing, they, they gave him an opportunity. The, the Road Warriors embraced him. They, they tried this, this, let's push it to the to the edge angle and let's get it to the limit and all of a sudden, eh, it's not, I'm not feeling it anymore. Let's Let's end this and start something new. And it might have been something uh, in a collaboration with Draws. Once again, I never uh, never talked to him about bringing Prince Albert in and Key. And I do remember Vic Grimes coming in for a little bit. And and uh, that that again, I think that's just a statement of of the day and times that we were living in back then. And uh, wow. You know, we were grass was growing all around us, and nobody was was mowing the lawn, uh, so you kind of got covered up sometimes. And that that's just my my look on it because uh, a lot of things happened that that all of a sudden you're standing there watching it, going, "How in the hell did we get to this point?" So, as far as draws and kind of what happens next, it just so uh, just so horrible. Think about the career-ending injury with D'Lo Brown. It happened during a SmackDown taping on October 5th, 1999. Um, man, Nassau Coliseum, Long Island. I guess he's going for one of those running power bombs, and he might slipped. I mean, do you remember exactly what happened and what caused the career-ending neck injury for Draws? I, I I remember that he was uh, D'Lo was going for the the running power slam, but I I. Honest to goodness, um, I, I, I don't remember even seeing it on the monitor. Um, but I was there that night, and I remember it, it was terrible. It was, it was horrific, and, and boy, everybody was crying and uh, uh, weren't weren't sure what was what was what happened. And uh, I believe he went to Long Island Hospital. I remember Shane was uh, Shane, Vance, Bruce, uh, myself, I think, uh, Matt Bloom, uh, a couple of the other boys. We we came in. I remember Shane, you know, <laughs> I told him, you know, you got to fight this. You got to fight this, man. But but he was hurt. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what happened. And to this day, I don't think. Elo or, or Draws knows what happened. It's one of those things, moment in time that uh, we, we can all speculate and and wish all day long. But uh, how, what, what do you say about it? It, it happened. I know Delo has <laughs> feels horrible to this day. And um, gosh, yeah, I, I don't know really what to say about it. Except if except it was it was a terrible terrible thing that that cut his career short. And I know Draws has said repeatedly that it was an accident. He didn't hold Brown at fault for the injury. There was no animosity. Kind of shows you what kind of guy he is. I'm just surprised that you know he he took it so well. I mean, you think about it, just wow, what a man. Well, yeah, but but once again, I I wouldn't expect anything less than, than that. You know, he well, Darren had. had he broke his back playing football. He knew the risk playing playing contact sports. He was a tough guy. He wasn't a baby. He wouldn't. He wasn't one of these guys who would come in and 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 scream, yell, cry, anything like that. But but it, it was a horrible accident. Nothing was meant. Nothing. There was no intent, malicious or otherwise. It 
it's one of those things. Every time we step in the ring, um, there's there's a chance uh, that something bad can happen, and that's why it's so important to to know what you're doing. It's so important uh, to take care of your opponent, and and it's so important to be safe. And D'Lo uh, was a seasoned pro. Um, Knew what he was doing, but unfortunately that night it just uh, happened the way it happened. And uh, Draws knows that, and everybody knows that. Uh, I'm sure over the years Deals beat himself up many, many times over it. But but the reality is um, <sighs> professional wrestling is – is is a dangerous sport. You, you know, we don't think about it a lot of times until something like this happens. And you're flying around the ring, uh, or even a simple bump. You know, we've seen it before. The guys over the last ten years who who've tragically passed away in the ring just with a bump that you wouldn't think. I mean, you wouldn't think is is that severe or that bad. And next thing we know is they're not moving and. And it's a it's it's a dangerous game. That's why a lot of people who go out and play at it and, and and try to duplicate some of the stuff they see on TV don't understand. There is a method to the madness. There is uh, a reason why we do something a certain way. It's it's for safety. And uh, even when you're as safe as you can be, and even when you have experience, and even when you're all in the right conditions, uh, it just takes one slip and uh and you don't walk again crazy such a sad and unfortunate thing that happened to him him recently him and Dilo were doing i think it was last year they did a couple signings together which i know for some reason to me it came off as a little like odd but good as as long as draws is getting a payday i kind of don't mind it but it's just odd like wow it's kind of weird that Somebody wanted to pair those two together for a signing, but uh, I think it's good to see they were very friendly to each other. Yeah, and, and there's no reason not to be friendly to each other. I mean, it, once again, Draws is 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 his character uh, obviously speaks for himself. He he's that guy who uh, not going to cry and not going to whine, not going to point fingers and blame anybody else. Uh, he knew the risk going in, and he was willing to take those risks. Um, Tragic as it may be, uh, he he's he's lived with it, and um, it you know it it doesn't do you any good to to feel sorry for yourself or to be mad at somebody. And and uh, again, it wasn't D'Lo didn't didn't go in there with the intent to hurt him, and and Draws knows that, and uh, it was a tragedy and and a horrible one. But um, there's there's no reason to hold a grudge, and there's no reason to uh, to be nasty about it at all. Uh, he could be, yes, if he was that kind of person, he could be. But once again, he he he's been a fighter his whole life, and uh, whether it was football or, or wrestling, he uh, never gave up, and uh, he and he's, he'd probably still be doing it if if this didn't happen. So. He, he's that kind of guy. He's not. He's not one to, uh, you know, say, "Hell, poor me, poor me." No, not that way at all. He just uh, goes on with life. With draws, he recently was on Dark Side of the Ring on the Brawl for All episode and on the Road Warriors episode. So you know, he's he's still out there for sure. Somebody online was saying they may do a Dark Side of the Ring on that, but I, uh, the, the thing with D'Lo, I just don't think. It has a you know an hour of, of, of stuff there. I mean, obviously you can talk about draws maybe more in depth, but I just don't know um, as far as the direction that they're going. I don't know if it has an hour there. But uh, just as far as draws, just wanted to mention this: January tenth, nineteen ninety eight. It was in New Hampshire. Draws and Tom Pritchard defeat Adam Cope and Sean Morley. Do you remember that? Where was this at? This would be in Plastow, New Hampshire, back in 1998. Yes, yes that was with a, a Mike Sparta show, I believe, or uh, his brother, Mike and... Fred. 
Fred, Sparty, pretty Sparty. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember doing those shows. Uh, honest to goodness, I couldn't tell you one thing about the match, but, but that's when I was. Uh, Again, going on the road, working with those guys out of the Funkin' Dojo and and out of the the camps we did, and uh, uh, I, I do I'll, I will say this: if it was those guys, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, as I said earlier, when we started this uh, this podcast today, uh, Draz was was a lot of fun. He was meant to be in this business. He was meant to do it. And, and he was accepted right off the bat in great attitude. So, uh, early on, especially when, when everybody's brand new and still has that, uh, sparkle in their eye, uh, you know, I've had it. I, I know the feeling and I, I'll never forget, uh, the feeling of my first match. I'll never forget the feeling of my first year, second year, all the way through about, uh, God, you know, you go a decade and you and you think where where did it all go? And and I I remember uh that enthusiasm, that excitement and the newness of it. So uh when I was in the ring with those guys, I could see it, I could feel it, and it was so cool and it's still cool to this day to see that. So you know that that's what that's a huge thing that uh keeps me going because I, I know how much I love the business and even though it's changed uh, there's still certain elements that remain. And, you know, Draws loved the business, and, and he had that uh, feeling, the the excitement of starting something new and uh, seeing all these guys around him who, who knew more than him but were welcoming him into their fold uh, to try and help him. And uh, that's what we were trying to do, if, if indeed it was, that night in New Hampshire – um, stepped in the ring, and and I was uh, going to be the ringleader that night and try and direct traffic. So I hope we did a good job, and I hope it was a good match. One other kind of final thing I wanted to say was, Draws defeats Doctor X, and they shotgun said a night taping. This would be the dark match in Nassau Coliseum, April fourteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. Doctor X again out there with the guys training him taking the good old L. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that was, that was probably uh, the the coolest time to be in the business with, with those guys, because I got to see him work in the studio. I got to work with him in the studio and then I got to go on the road with them and, and work with them on the road in practical matches and, and to feel their uh, excitement and, and to, to talk to him before the match and after the match. And man, what a, what a gratifying uh, feeling that is. And um, I miss those days. I really do. And I miss draws. Now, as far as some plugs, let's mention your book, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. Dr. Tom, where can they get this awesome book? They can get this awesome book on Amazon.com. Just type in Dr. Tom's book in the uh, search uh, bar up there, or you could send $25 to PayPal, and my PayPal is drtompritchard at AOL.com, and I will send you a personally signed autograph book. Um, So either Amazon or PayPal. And I highly recommend everybody go to ProWrestlingTees.com. You can go to the JPWA store for a shirt, or you can go to Dr. Tom's store and get a great T-shirt. I highly recommend the Wanted, Dead, or Alive shirt. Also, go to JPWrestlingAcademy.com to check out JPWA's website. And you can follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip or at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, I know you got some personal appearances coming up probably sooner rather than later, but they're sneaking up, kind of creeping up. What do you got? They are, they are, they are sneaking up and they are creeping up here. Um, we do have coming up, coming up, coming up, uh, in December, as of right now, I think I have something, uh, possibly in November, but right now, well, uh, here's what I was looking at. Uh, November 21st is, uh, as of right now, 
I haven't heard any different. Uh, the CWF reunion show in Dothan, Alabama, with Dennis Gale as the promoter, uh, November 21st. So if anybody's interested in uh, checking out Dothan, Alabama's reunion for the Continental Guys. And then in December, um, gosh, as we get along here, man, John. I'm December 4th, 5th. December 456 with AWF or AM. Thank you so much because I have it written down right here and I'm right right past it. Yes, Winston Salem, um, AML, uh, Winston Salem for the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and uh, myself, Ricky Morton, uh, C.W. Anderson, Josh, uh, oh, uh, Josh, Coach, I'm I'm going to get in so much trouble. Josh Perry, Josh. Coach Josh, anyway, at AML and, 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 and your Preston friend. Quinn will be there. Yeah, yes. PQ, maybe yes. Preston Quinn, he'll be there as well. Yes, looking forward to that, man. That's always going to be a bunch of fun, man, with uh, uh, everybody hanging out. And it's three days of hanging out with uh, – uh, you have an opinion from from – about four or five different people who are coaching. And that's that's one thing, again, we tell everybody. Professional wrestling is just an opinion. You have your way, I have my way, but the right way and the only way does not exist. It's, it's just we give you some structure. I give you uh, how I would do it, and I give you some, some kind of uh, uh, form to follow and take it or leave it uh, and do what works for you. So, And Ricky Morton, I think, uh, again, is a Hall of Famer, hell of a coach and uh it'll be a lot of fun all right great stuff as always thank you everyone for joining us this week we will see you right back here on take you to school with dr tom pritchard see you next week folks thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading